I, you know, we don't like investing in ourselves. Yeah. But my husband really made made it a point, you know, that I do invest in myself, take up those trainings, those courses, and I think I have done decently well for myself, to be honest. And it has really helped me. Without these trainings and these courses, I don't think I should. I would have, you know, been able to really understand the essence of data protection. And and I think I'm in a very in 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 a pretty happy space right now. It would not have happened if I had not taken those plunges. Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZN Privacy Experts. The podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counties. So, whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy, or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. And welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My name is Jamila and I'm a data privacy analyst at Kazian Privacy Experts. I'm primarily responsible for conducting research on current and upcoming legislation, as well as any key developments and any decisions by supervisory authorities. And I'm also the host of this wonderful Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My co-host today is Jamal Ahmed. Jamal is the Fellow of Information Privacy and CEO at Kazian Privacy Experts. Jamal is an established and comprehensively qualified privacy professional with a demonstrable track record solving enterprise-wide data privacy and data security challenges for SMEs through complex global organizations. He is a certified information privacy manager, certified information privacy professional, certified EU GDPR practitioner, master NLP practitioner, Prince2 practitioner, and he holds a Bachelor of Arts in Business with Law. He is a revered global privacy thought leader, world-class trainer, and published author for publications such as Thomson Reuters, The Independent, Euronews, as well as numerous industry publications. Jamal makes regular appearances on the media, on television, radio and in print and has been dubbed the king of GDPR by the BBC. To date, he has provided privacy and GDPR compliance solutions to organisations across six continents and in over 30 jurisdictions, helping to safeguard the personal data of over a billion data subjects worldwide. Thank you for joining us today, Jamal. Thank you for the lovely introduction, Jamila. Before we get started with today's podcast, I just really want to take a moment to appreciate all of the lovely work that you and the rest of the team have been doing behind the scenes with the podcast. And the reason I say that is because earlier this month, we've been ranked the number one data privacy podcast by Welp Magazine. And last month, we were ranked top three best GDPR podcasts of 2021. I just really want to acknowledge and appreciate all of the hard work that you and the rest of the team do behind the scenes to bring all of these great speakers onto this platform to share so much value with aspiring data privacy professionals and privacy professionals looking to enhance their career and take you up to the next stage, whether that's going from an analyst to a manager to a consultant or setting up their own consultancy. So thank you to you, Jamila. Thank you to Rehana for all the editing work she does. And thank you to all of our listeners for sharing our podcast, for downloading the podcast, because ultimately it's thanks to our listeners that we've got to where we are. We've got audiences in over 59 countries and counting now, and we really smashed through some of the milestones that we set ourselves earlier this year. 
So I'm really excited about speaking to Tripti, our guest for today. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about Tripti? Yes, I too am very excited to speak with our guest today. So Tripti Dar is a partner in Raina Legal LLP India, and she heads their data protection and privacy practice for India and the Middle East. Tripti is a fellow of information privacy as conferred by the International Association of Privacy Professionals. And she is also an impanel trainer for the DSCI Certified Privacy Professional Certification. She holds a BA LLB from Nalsar University of Law in Hyderabad, a premier law school in India, and has completed her executive education program at Said Business School at the University of Oxford. Tripti has an experience of 10 years and regularly advises clients in the sectors of TMT, healthcare, fintech, and FMCG. Tripti is also a technical and policy expert at AI Policy Exchange, the Institute of Public Policy, National Law School of India, University, Bangalore. Wow, what a bio. Welcome, Tripti. Great to have you today. Hi, Shamila. Thank you so much. And thank you for this lovely introduction. And thank you, Jamal, for having me on this podcast. It's a pleasure, actually, to be talking to all of you, both of you, and to the larger audience. So thanks again for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. It's our privilege to have you on this platform, Tripti. And I think so far you are our furthest guest geographically away. In fact, I think you're quite far away from us on the other side in India. So it's really lovely to reach out and bring you on board because... One thing that I've noticed, especially from the activity on my LinkedIn, is the Indian appetite for data privacy and data privacy professionals. It's increasing like nowhere else in the world. And there are so many people really now starting to look at pursuing CIPP certifications. And there's so many consultancies based in India that really provide a respectable workforce to really tackle data privacy in all areas of the world. And it actually makes sense to see why people are so hungry for data privacy knowledge. And I know you are one of the leaders and the forerunners when it comes to data privacy in India. And I really want to recognize and thank you for everything that you're doing in that space, especially in the geographical region you are right now. Thank you, Jamal, for your kind words. And as you rightly pointed out, there's a lot of appetite insofar as data protection and privacy goes, especially in South Asia and in the Indian subcontinent or in India specifically. That is also because, you know, since many, many decades, if I may say so, India has been, for the lack of a better phrase, you know, sort of a dumping ground for personal data. Since we have not had a data protection regime uh, vis-a-vis, say, other countries, a lot of countries send back a lot of personal data to India, to their branches in India, mm-hmm. which would be perhaps, you know, HR-related data, payroll, accounting, etc. And before, say, for instance, when the GDPR came in, everyone in India especially was oblivious of the fact that there's something called the data protection regime and that personal data has to be collected, processed, stored, and also deleted in a particular manner and that there should be some rhyme, reason, or rhythm to it. But once the GDPR came into place and all these parent companies who were subject to GDPR started sensitizing their Indian branches or Indian Mm. companies, it was then that it dawned upon Indian companies that this is something that cannot be ignored for long and since 2018 i have seen this surge to be very honest as you rightly said the appetite for gdpr and in a very short span of time there are many people privacy professionals many lawyers many cas or even engineers mostly engineers who are wanting to now venture into privacy full time so yes you've actually very accurately summed up the situation in India. And one of the things I'm really grateful and fortunate to the International Association of Privacy Professionals is we're actually in a position to be able to offer people to come and mentor and train with us through the official IAPP, CIPPE, the CIPM and the CIPT. 
We've had a number of cohorts from India who have doing really well. One great example was a gentleman by the name of Sahil Ahmed. He joined our program one weekend and then he formed you for a bit of mentoring a little bit after that. And he's now posted a really nice thank you message to me. So he's got himself a career as data privacy manager with a leading company, MNG. I used to work for MNG on a project. So I'm mm-hmm. really happy with the results that some of our Indian mentees are getting out there. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the appetite for data privacy laws in India. As we know, there is something happening in government right now, but we believe there's a little bit of resistance or it's got stuck there from my understanding. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's actually happening? Uh, absolutely. So basically, you know, right to life has been an integral part of Indian constitution since long. But when you talk about specific right to privacy, that was only in 2017, there was this judgment called the Justice K.S. Puttu Swami judgment that brought to fore that right to privacy could be read within right to life in India. Post that, in 2018, a bill by the name of Personal Data Protection Bill came to the fore. It was tabled in the parliament and it took heavily from GDPR, so as have many laws. But when the first round of discussions happened, a need was felt to make certain changes. Cut to 2019, where we saw a completely different version of PDPB in 2019. And this very bill, which we talk of, the Personal Data Protection Bill of 2019, is currently placed before the parliament for the consideration. An expert committee has been formed and various members of parliaments are deliberating. As a part of the deliberations, uh, various uh, governmental organizations like National Crime Records Bureau, uh, you know, perhaps a UID, which is equivalent to social services in the US, UK, etc., All these organizations have made certain representations as to what would they want to see in the bill. Secondly, various companies have also come forward and made certain representations. Now, all these representations along with evidentiary supplements have been taken on board. And it is now that a report is being worked upon and post the deliberation, some sort of recommendations will be released in the public domain. And I see a lot of changes happening in the bill. To be very honest, government has intended that the bill be passed and pushed into being an act. And this has been happening since 2020. But obviously, the pandemic happened and Mm. something or the other political have been happening in the country. And this has gotten pushed. Now, they say that perhaps in the monsoon session in August, September, we may see the bill getting passed, but we really don't know if that is going to happen, to be honest. What do you think it means for India moving forward when this does become introduced? It will mean an overhaul. See, to be very honest, if we talk about privacy as a concept, there is no concept of privacy in India or Indian subcontinent. We are a country in which, you know, you have your uncles and aunts and even neighbors wanting to know certain personal aspects of your life, like your marks, they'll say, okay, please give me your roll number. I'll check your marks. I want to see your educational details, etc. So it will definitely be a shocker when it comes. Even now it is. But once it comes in as a law, it is going to be a shocker for the companies, for the persons as well. The data subjects may not know that they have a right. They have a host of rights, in fact, which they can ask of a company of a data controller or a data processor. Because the common feeling in India is that I don't have anything to hide. We don't have anything to hide. So even if someone has my data, I really don't care. But you and I both know that there is more to it than just saying that I don't have anything to hide. On the other hand, insofar as companies are concerned, kind of sense that I get from potential clients, they feel violated if I may say so. They feel like, oh my God, you know, we have this revenue stream. And once this business comes, my business is going to get disabled. So the first thing we do is to sensitize everyone, all our businesses and organizations, is that data protection and privacy regime as such is not a business disabler. It is a business enabler. And while 
sensitizing the business in this regard we've also tried to you know reach out to the legal persons or the finance people or other risk professionals in the company saying that this is something that you can also learn on your own it is not as if you know some external party will come and conduct audits and then you know you have a reason to be scared of this is a knowledge it is out there please learn about it and it is in this context that certifications like iapp etc and training in institutes like yours can really help you know bring about this sensitivity in indian people because my personal experience since 2019 i have been extensively holding webinars and even you know physical conferences have been held where i have tried to sensitize people so this has been my experience in the past 2 years thank you for sharing and i really resonate with what you're saying about privacy not being seen as a context in the indian subcontinent last year i was at a delegation it's funny you have the houses of parliament behind you so i was at the house of parliament with a delegation <laughs> that came from bangladesh and they're looking here to bring digital bangladesh to do business with the uk when it comes to digitalization of businesses and one of the things that really came up as a sticking point was data privacy and they're like jamal you keep talking about data privacy data privacy like I don't understand what it is you're talking about. The people in my country, the people I know, they would be willing to give up their privacy rights, their grandfather's privacy rights mm-hmm. and their forefather's privacy rights to download one free song. That's true. That's true, very true. <laughs> Freebies. It's interesting because when you take that and then you couple it with what Jose says in his podcast, he talks about privacy. Sometimes it's quite a cultural thing. What do you have to say about that? you are right privacy as a concept is a cultural thing but that does not mean that we cannot inculcate the culture of privacy in indian subcontinent and in the organizations because ultimately you know there have to be certain pointers that will have to be communicated to both companies and people a your data privacy for a company for instance is directly linked with their goodwill if you're found to have had a breach your goodwill goes for a toss and i think every company would understand that goodwill is an intangible asset and it is a very important part b it really gives you a competitive advantage so for instance we've just had a massive data breach in dominos and trust me every indian would have ordered from dominos and there are crores of people whose data has been leaked so as i said culture of privacy can be inculcated by making certain points secondly coming on to the data subjects i think they do resist and as you rightly said that we would do anything if i need a particular report and you know i am asked to trade in some personal information for me i may do so as well but i may do so because i may not be aware of what would ensue i take that action because you know it is not in common knowledge that it is not just the personal data that is collected at source which is used uh, by companies the way they want to but there's also behavioral pattern for instance that is analyzed and brought to the front it again goes back to sensitization and of constantly telling companies constantly telling data subjects both the parties that there are certain aspects of it that you do not realize now for instance even if you talk about data processes and controllers the people whom i deal with they may not know what is happening they may say that no we don't collect any personal data but when i ask them does your website or your app collect ip address for instance they'll say yeah so they do not know that ip address may also constitute personal data you know finesses like that we are going to reach there it may take some time because we are also huge in numbers yeah but we are trying our best but having said that to be fair one thing i noticed earlier on this year was when facebook announced their updates to their whatsapp development yes. and i think they seriously misunderstood how much people actually value their right to privacy or the perceived right to privacy when they first came out i reached out to pedro and i said pedro i think we need to give a little bit more information here because there was a lot of misinformation going on and they were like no no it's fine long really bother too much about privacy in those parts of the world but a week later i saw facebook take out a front page advert on nearly every single newspaper and they really had underestimated and misunderstood how seriously people are now taking their data privacy 
And that is a result of sensitization. And that is also a result of having certain editorial pieces in newspapers or in magazine immediately after such a thing happens. Because, you know, once you let two or three weeks pass off, you know, the entire thing dies down. So, you know, we have to be at it. We have to solve doubts that people may have in their minds. We have to tell them, okay, this is what they mean. And if you truly understand the terms and you are okay with it, only then you should go ahead and say yes to a privacy policy, be it WhatsApp, be it Facebook or be it something else. So, yes, you know, as you said, we are slowly reaching there, reaching somewhere. It's all very fascinating what you've been saying. I've just been sitting here listening. <laughs> I forgot that I'm hosting and that I have to talk. But one thing you mentioned at the very beginning, Tripti, you said that you found that especially engineers are interested in going into data privacy. From what I've seen, a lot of lawyers and people from a law background go into data privacy. So why is it that you think that engineers are now interested in data privacy and data so, protection? So peculiar to India, to be honest. I see a lot of lawyers in privacy in the United States and in UK as well. Mm -hmm. But in India, what happens is the understanding is that the CISO or the CTO is the main guy and below him, the entire IT team sits. Now, India is very big on cyber security and they inadvertently read data privacy as a subset of cyber security and something that should sit within cyber security, which is not the case, to be very honest. And that precludes lawyers or risk professionals or other perhaps people who need not be really qualified in something Mm -hmm. else to be welcomed into these departments because see if I'm a privacy pro if I'm qualified and I'm looking for a job but the job description says that you must mandatorily have a BTEC, a bachelor's in technology degree and on top of that you ask for say CIPP, CIPM my chances are lost right So again, it is because of the fact that India or Indian subcontinent, they are big in IT, cybersecurity, and not just data privacy. And they see data privacy as an ancillary thing, not something on its own. This is the trend that I've seen in India. And there is a resistance from a lot of senior technology officers or CISOs to change it, to be very honest. And that is also because they may be right to a certain extent. I'm not very sure what their entire argument is. That is also because they feel that somebody who comes from a tech background you know, will have a greater understanding of the systems, right? And then he or she would apply their knowledge pertaining to privacy on those systems compared to a lawyer, perhaps like me, who will, you know, ask questions and try to understand the systems first and then yeah. try and, you know, adapt. So again, this is very peculiar of India. Do you think it will change? be the same as the US and the UK or do you think the US and the UK will change be more like the Indian subcontinent? Honestly, I think it should change in India. A, I'm selfish. I am a lawyer. It should change in India. (laughs) (laughs) B, I'll tell you what is happening. Since in the absence of a legislation, there are only certain guidances and principles that perhaps techies are able to apply, if I may say so, to their systems. But once a legislation like GDPR or CCPA or the other legislation comes into place in India as well, there will be a greater task of also interpreting what the laws and principles are saying. For instance, there is this ISO 27001 standard that you have to implement. There is more to it when you get a legislation on your hand. And see, a good privacy team is a team that comprises of inputs from from your tech team, your sales, your marketing, your finance, your risk, your legal as well. So not to say that only lawyers should be privacy professionals, but at least they should be actively involved. Currently in India, I don't see that much of it happening, to be very honest. And I hope that we slowly change. I don't mean to say that privacy should sit within the legal department, so to say, but there has to be a very balanced and homogenized segment, if I may say so. Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. There needs to be some synergy across the different stakeholders and elements of the business to really make sure that we get the results that we need for the clients and that actually people enjoy the rights and freedoms that the law promises. Okay, that was really interesting insight into how things are. 
I think we were so excited to talk to you and find out more about India. We forgot to do an icebreaker with you. We just jumped straight in. So now I'm going to go back to the icebreaker. So the icebreaker question, if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Rajma Chawal. I don't know if everyone would understand what Rajma Chawal is. What Perhaps is Jamal does. I don't know. I think Rajma Chawal is something I can eat for the rest of my life. What, what is that? What is it? So Rajma Chawal, Chawal means rice. Yeah. And rajma is, you know, those red beans. And you make a curry out of rajma. So rajma is a thick curry along with rice. Since, you know, I'm an Indian, so big on curry. <laughs> <laughs> the beans, curry and rice is something I can eat all day. Sounds delicious. <laughs> now I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, Tripti. We know that you are a lawyer by profession, but what first sparked your interest in data privacy? Why data privacy? Uh, to start off with, my career was more of indirect taxation. Yeah. I started off with Ernst & Young mm-hmm. and I was in their IDT practice, but I was assigned to the TMT team. And once I was in TMT, I slowly shifted toward the industry. And I joined a big telecommunication service provider player here in India. This was in 2016. And, you know, we had just started hearing about GDPR. Just to come in there, for our listeners who are not familiar with the acronyms TMT, can you just explain what the TMT is? Oh, it means technology, media and telecommunications. I'm basically an indirect access lawyer in technology, media and telecommunications. And it sparked my interest and I shifted to telecommunications company. And since GDPR, there was a lot of buzz around GDPR in 2016. We started analyzing, you know, a lot of principles and we started analyzing the GDP, the text as such and, you know, thought of how would it impact us if tomorrow we were to have a law like this or because this company that I worked in, they did a lot of international business. We wanted to understand where we exactly stand. That was my first brush with data privacy and protection. Post that, I joined a a medical devices company, a diagnostics Mm -hmm. company, which was a Swiss company. And again, since the parent company was a Swiss company, there was a lot of uh, discussion around data protection and privacy. Mm -hmm. I worked on a couple of projects that were uh, truly international in nature. I I was given the opportunity to analyze uh, certain devices from the perspective of data protection and privacy. So these two things were like really defining in my career. I started off on a very practical note. See, both telecommunications and IT and uh, medical devices or healthcare are the that have a lot of personal data being transferred, shifted, stored, etc. So to that effect, I got a very good exposure. And it was in this the second company, the Swiss diagnostics company that I decided I wanted to do privacy full time. I shifted into a law firm. This law firm is the one that I had worked for previously when I was doing my indirect taxation practice. And we thought of starting a practice dedicated to data protection and privacy. And it's been two years now and we are very happy. We are doing well. We have thought of small, small milestones that we will touch every now and then. And we've been successful in doing that. Although we would have been happier if the pandemic wouldn't have happened. We still had a fair share of clients coming in and, you know, knowledge building. So, yeah. Cool. And what is your favorite thing about working in data privacy? When I thought of doing law, I wanted to do something for the people. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see to it that justice happens. The question was, what about those sections of the society on whom there is an obligation to be just to the people at large? Mm -hmm. Is there any guidance to them? I think data protection and privacy is a field that really nicely and very well guide the companies, the data controllers, data processors. And it is once these companies are apprised of the law and you make them understand the entire regime, you are playing your part in seeing that justice is done effectively. I will not say that I don't want to be, you know, like a torch lawyer or a personal injury lawyer, you know, that once something wrong happens, I go and take the company to court. That is perhaps one aspect of it. I would love to do it, but that doesn't happen much in India. But I would also want 
to guide the companies on how to be compliant. Data privacy is a business enabler. And that business enabling part will happen when I do my part well. So this is what actually attracted me to data protection and privacy. I get the opportunity to sensitize companies to help them being compliant with the law, which I saw was very good. And privacy program management is all about it. This is what really sparked my interest. I really love the fact that you share, you see, and you perceive uh, data privacy as a business enabler rather than a business blocker, which sometimes people can see, especially when they come from the legal sector. So it's yes. really good that you have that positive approach to it and you actually see the benefits and the competitive advantage that it can bring for businesses. So that's awesome. Tripti, what are you most proud of in your career so far? Most proud of, proud of the fact that I got made partner in like seven years of my practice. That's very self. I'm very proud of the fact being a partner is not just about the designation. It also means that you are mature enough to lead a team to also deal directly with clients. And as I said, it has been a dream of mine to help out companies in being compliant, whether be it indirect taxation or be data protection or be general law as well. When I say become partner means that I have truly realized my potential and have gone out and helped companies, you know, be compliant. That is one of the highest that I've had in the career. Yeah, that's really amazing. It's not selfish at all. It's great. You should really <laughs> be proud of that. What advice would you give to someone who is starting out in the sector? The advice is read, 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 and not just something that is very peculiar to your own geography, but across the world. So, you know, if I were to only read about India, I would not know anything. Not to say that I know a lot about privacy, but no matter where you are, an aspiring privacy professional has to read about all the jurisdictions. And that is simply because of the fact that the data protection principles, data privacy principles remain the same. It is only a matter of interpretation and a matter of cultural thing in a country. I take every opportunity to read up on what is happening in Europe, what is happening in United States, Canada, Australia, because reading is the key. You mm -hmm. will not realize, but after a year of reading, 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 you will be equipped with a lot of technical know-how, a lot of skills when you're facing a client. Mm -hmm. And you'll also be able to tell them what could possibly be their blind spots. And that only happens when you read and when you realize that, okay, say, for instance, if the ICO initially said that, you know, we would go ahead and find Marriott or British Airways to the extent of X amount. But when the final order came in, why did the fine go down? We must read as to why did that happen? If there were any mitigating circumstances, for instance, not only in these cases, but in other cases from other other geographies, you will be able to tell your clients not to say that, you know, you would want to advise your clients and tell them, okay, you know, you have a loophole and you should exploit it. But if you have to provide effective counsel, you have to comprehend situations. You have to see how the law was applied in certain other cases as well, and then provide customized solutions to your clients. So if someone has to become a privacy professional, they have to read and they have to read internationally. This is my advice. Absolutely. That is great advice. So be well read. And one of the things that I've noticed is, look, there are a lot of people who read, especially in the subcontinent. People can lock themselves up in a room and read for like eight, ten hours. <laughs> the problem is when they come back and join the real world, sometimes they get lost in the book. And when they're having actual conversations with privacy pros across the platform, so let's just say our Facebook uh, privacy pros community or a WhatsApp group or a Signal group, the answer, default answer seems to be copying and pasting text yes. or paragraphs they memorized. Yes. The businesses don't respond to you regurgitating the article or something that you've read. They actually want to understand what it means in practice. Oh. And the challenge sometimes with just sticking to reading or self-studying alone, rather than going through some kind of formal training or mentoring program, is that the application of that gets lost and you become somebody who's just spewing out copy and pasted uh, paragraphs. 
I completely agree. And this is something that I have seen as well. And this is, again, a trait of persons in Indian subcontinent, thanks to the education system we have. I think that is because once you are given a book, in India, people tend to cram stuff up from a book or from an article. They fail to understand that you should also be very well aware of the facts of a particular case. If your client comes to you, how many of us would be willing to understand about their systems how many of us will be willing to deep dive into the problems they have and then come up with solutions this is something that does not happen in india no one wants to think out of box yes we are limited to copying and pasting this we are guilty of that i completely agree but the thing is that you have to actively involving yourself in certain practical trainings now, this is what I have done way back in 2019, because I really could not understand, you know, how does privacy program management happen? I took an IAPP training in Brussels because I had gone to Brussels for the conference, you know. So similarly, you have to make that effort. You have to put yourself in those hot waters, if I may say so. Unless you do that, your knowledge will be bookish and it will not help anyone. How do you get that practical knowledge? How do you get that practical experience? Because it cannot be engaged on the job. You cannot be entering into a project and then figuring out what to do. The way I did it, to be honest, I don't know how others have done it. I have tried to involve myself in various trainings. And also, you know, I have tried to go ahead and reach out to people and ask them how would they do things if they were in my place. It takes a lot of effort, you know, and also to understand, matter lack of a phrase, but you have to give that sort of an authority to the other person. You have to understand that you may not know everything, although you may know the book. Now, I can find 10 people who may know GDPR by heart from A to Z. But that is not what will guarantee you good privacy program implementation. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand and you have to reach out to people. I have done that. Many of my friends in Europe and UK, I really, you know, rack their brains. I go after them. Okay, you know, how would it happen? Can you please tell me? Can you please help me out? And I have seen that everyone is very warm and kind enough to help me with the basics. But again, trainings are very important. Thank you very much for coming. And I completely agree with you. One of the things that I'm really pleased about is being able to offer the IAPP training actually to people in India without you having now to go to uh, travel to Europe and takes out all of that burden of traveling and having to book flights and thinking about all of those things. And we can bring that into the Indian market at a very uh, realistic and affordable price. In fact, one of the promotions we've got right now is we're not actually charging anything for the trading. We're just saying just cover the IAPP fees, really help people in India to get on board in data privacy because there's such a huge demand and we need to train people quickly. And the yeah. other resources that we have available for people is we have our Facebook community, so the Privacy Pros Academy, and that's where we create a platform for people to come and learn from each other's experiences, ask the questions. And in fact, every Friday I go and I do a half an hour live training where I look at the questions that has come in, I give them sample questions, and then we discuss the answers and what the previous implications. And we found that that's really helping people. So these are some of the things that we're doing to give back to aspiring privacy pros in the privacy pro industry. And uh, I'm so grateful for you to come and join onto this to, you know, help us give that value back as well. Really, Jamal, this is the need of the hour. You know, we really need training and, and thanks to pandemic, if I may say so, academies like yours who are offering online courses. And it really helps, trust me, because as you know, Indians, we are always up for gaining knowledge, grabbing knowledge. So this definitely is going to uh, help a lot. And as I said, even when I have, you know, done a lot of courses in the past one and a half years, had I known about privacy pro i would have definitely but you know what is stopping me now from going and signing up a course at privacy pro i'll do that i'll, I'll definitely very shortly i'll sign up for one of your courses we keep an eye out for your trip to <laughs> maybe you can help us teach some of our courses oh, sure sure that'll be a pleasure all right awesome we've spoken a little bit about the impact of the uh, pandemic 
So what do you think of the vaccine passports initiative that might be introduced worldwide um, as a result of the pandemic? What are your thoughts on that? I do understand that there is perhaps, you know, a larger need of, if I may say so, monitoring a person's because a lot of countries feel that countries like India are bringing variants of COVID-19. For instance, Canada feels so, you know, that a lot of variants of COVID-19 have been brought to Canada by India, etc. So they may be right in their own way to introduce vaccine passports. But all of this has to be done strictly in view of and in compliance of the privacy principles. Now, how will that happen? And whether or not it is possible to go ahead and have such a mechanism that is for the privacy pros to actually figure out, you know, all the privacy pros in those countries. See, it is more of a policy thing because, again, for instance, India is still struggling with COVID-19. It would be unfair, you know, only on that basis if I ask other countries who are doing well, ask them not to introduce uh, vaccination passports and tell them, you know, that please don't go ahead and check these status because, you know, we, we've hardly had even one dose of vaccine in India. But as I said, I don't believe in the fact that things can either be black or white. You have to meet midway. And meeting of midway is to be compliant of data protection and privacy principles and to be compliant of the legislations that you have incorporated in your own country. Yes, it may take some time. See, the only problem that I saw even with contact tracing gaps was the government wanted to do something quickly. And that was the argument that they you know, used in saying, since we want to do something quickly, we cannot be compliant of data privacy principles. That worries me. That is bothersome to me. Just because you have a time crunch doesn't mean that you can compromise on the data protection aspects. So yes, something has to be done and you have to meet midway. But I think a lot of time has elapsed since the pandemic happened. And by now, people who were in charge of designing vaccination passports programs in their own country would now perhaps know how to be data privacy and data protection compliant. It's no secret. I'm very outspoken on my views when it comes to COVID passports. And I'm completely against the centralized collection of people's health information for such purposes. Mm. And we've seen before pandemics have come in the world. We've had Ebola, we've had SARS uh, viruses. Right, right. We have adequate measures in place. You go and you get your jabs, you have a certificate, a paper certificate, and you present that at the airport or you present that when you apply for your visa. And that's been working adequately and appropriately. I don't see any reason why that can't continue to work moving forward. And I'm really against how that information might be used and how the purpose creep of such a system and technology, now that we have it in place, why don't we use it for X, Y, Z reasons? And we've seen that purpose scope. And sadly, in the UK, we've actually seen uh, the UK government fails to get it right when it comes to all things data privacy. Mm. Uh, we had a look at the NHS test and trace program, uh, billions of public money, taxpayers' money wasted. We had a look at the second attempt. And now there was talks of bringing a digital vaccination passport, where we're trying to create a, effectively what could be a two-tier society mm. based on those who have mm. uh, had the jab and those who have not had the jab. It really opens up for discrimination, depending on the kind of people who are more likely to take the Agreed. jab on what should be an informed choice. And I have spoken to many people who are taking the immunization, even though they believe that it's something that could harm them, because they want the freedoms to be able to travel and go and see their family in other parts of the world. We find ourselves with very important challenges uh, when it comes to data privacy, and we have to make sure as privacy professionals that we're standing up for the rights and freedoms of the data subjects whilst being enablers for business, for governments, uh, and for global trade and travel, I guess.
Right. So you, you pointed out a couple of very important things. Uh, a, use limitation. B, purpose limitation. C, to add to it, we should also have a sunset clause. So as I said, it is not, you know, that you cannot go ahead and have uh, vaccination passports if you actually do comply with the law. But the thing is that a lot many times, perhaps the governmental agencies take such projects as an excuse to compromise the data privacy of uh, data subjects. Now, that should not happen. But again, as I said, I do agree with your view and I understand what you are saying that in the past we've had SARS and Ebola and nothing of that sort really came up. So why is it that we are being pushed for something of this sort this time? So yes, this needs to be seen and this needs to be analyzed. And yes, also opposed. See, because for, for example, when India came up with Aroge Setu app, its contact tracing app, there were many flaws. There were many, many flaws. Flaws to the extent that the government was saying that there is no data controller. I am not the data controller in this case and there is no data controller. Effectively saying that the data subjects don't have a remedy at all. But because there was a lot of public advocacy, hue and cry, etc., etc., they did have to succumb and they did put appropriate clauses in place. Part where you said that it should be voluntary? Absolutely. The thing is that the very basis of data protection is it should be voluntary in nature. And your consent, the standard of consent that is demanded is very high. It cannot vague. It has to be clearly understood. It should be crisp. It should be crystal clear and not just, you know, something that you are required by the government to do. I think you have touched upon all the important points in what you're saying, Jamal. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad we agree and see eye to eye on some things because uh, we could easily have a, a very lengthy debate if we was on two opposite ends of the spectrum. But it's good to see that we are very pragmatic and positive and uh, we're really interested in actually principles of data privacy and we're practicing yes. exactly what we preach. Awesome. Um, Tripti, what's your most memorable client story? Very recently, we tried pitching you know, a host of services to a client and yeah. you know, we made them understand you know, that you, know, you have to start from data mapping, you have to have a ROPA, you have to have a privacy policy in place, agreements, etc., the entire landscape. And we had a very lengthy discussion with them, obviously online. They came back to us and told us, you know, that you know, we are going with someone else and we'll not be able to go ahead with you, which we are fine. So four or five months post that, they come up to us and ask us to draft a very basic thing for them, a very basic document. And I was very surprised. I asked them, you know, I thought you went with somebody else and did they not take care of this aspect? And trust me, Jamal, it was the first aspect and why I'm not revealing it is because yeah. that client will come to know who I'm talking about. But it was like the first step in data protection privacy. And they said no. And I was like, okay, I really don't know what this person, uh, you know, sold you. But I was really taken aback. But yes, this happens all the time. You know, something as small as uh, privacy policy uh, will not be in place, whereas everything else would have been done in an organization. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> you told us a little bit about the data privacy industry in India and the kind of attitudes towards data privacy there. Within your work, you also cover the Middle East. So what's the attitudes towards data privacy there? I have seen that Middle East is far more welcoming, mm -hmm. if I may say so, than India on the whole. And when we say India, we should not only think of big tech companies because they don't constitute the all of India. But I personally felt that UAE, both Dubai and Abu Dhabi, 
uh, to be specific, they are far more welcoming of data privacy and data protection principles. That is also because I may say, so for instance, DIFC and ADGM, they, ha- they have entered into MOUs with specific countries. For instance, DIFC had an MOU with, uh, I think, ICO. They, they have had a legislation, data privacy legislation from before, you know, I think it's been quite so many years because they also followed the directive before GDPR. So what has happened is that the Middle East or in particular, if I may say so, UAE is ahead of us is because the inculcation of that culture started perhaps 10-15 years before India, to be very honest. From a legal perspective, not just the tech aspect or the cyber security aspect, India may lead on that. But insofar as the data privacy aspect, the uh, compliance with the legislation aspect is concerned, they are far ahead of us. Similarly, other countries like Bahrain, if you see that Bahrain already has a legislation in place, so there is some sort of a recognition. Now, it's a separate matter whether the law is being implemented, whether do they have an authority or not, or have they incorporated punishment wherein your executives have to go to jail, etc. That is a separate matter. But they do realize and they have been successful in having a law in place in Bahrain, so is Qatar as well. So is DIFC, ADGM, and I know for a fact that UAE will also have a national legislation very soon. Again, we go back to the culture aspect. They have had this cultural inculcation since some time now. And if I may extend the argument, why this has also happened is because they are open to foreign law firms having offices in Dubai, which India is not. So we have developed some sort of resistance to foreign law firms. I don't know why, you know, there's some sort of phobia, which I hope will get solved soon. I'm sure that the Bar Council of India has its own reasons and they have many a times advocated. They have communicated as to why do they feel that India is not yet open, is not yet ready for foreign law firms. But I think that is where Middle East has an edge over us because they have that expertise directly handed out to them by the virtue of they having these foreign law firms operate. This is what I saw. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Very insightful. And now uh, we can see that the Abu Dhabi global markets, for example, are uh, taking data privacy very seriously. And we can see there is an increased appetite in data privacy all over the Middle East because we can see that there are lots of consultants going there and recruiting specifically for um, data privacy teams. And we have some of those um, individuals in our community who are actually looking yes. to take on talent from other parts of the world and bring them into the Middle East for that. Yes. I look forward to hoping to find some good talent through our academy. I know a lot of members of our academy are quite interested in actually traveling to the Middle East for that. I'm really looking forward to sharing their transformation journeys and allowing that to happen as well. Jamal, since since you are based in UK, I would like to know your perspective on how India is shaping up insofar as data protection and privacy is concerned. Because, you know, we really need to move ahead. We need to have a helicopter view, so to speak. Being from within the system, it's very difficult to know the flaws or to know any positives. So what would your views be and how do you think India should go ahead with its uh, data protection? implementation, etc. The most important thing is, as you mentioned earlier during the podcast, is exposing people to the idea that they have a right to privacy and that is something that should be valued. And just because you feel like you don't have something to hide, you wouldn't want somebody to say, just because you don't have something to say, you don't have the right to freedom of expression. And I think it was Edward Snowden who really summed it up well in that quote. He said, saying, I don't care about the right to privacy because I've got nothing to hide is exactly the same as saying, I don't care about freedom of speech because I've got nothing to say. And when you put it in that context, it really brings it home. I think the most important thing really is across the whole of the South Asian continent is to bring up that awareness that, look, data privacy, this is why it's important. This is why it should mean something to you. This is why you should value your right to privacy. Moving forward, this is how it could really start impacting you. What we've seen is a very crazy shift in the way technology is starting to be introduced and being used 
by all the people in most of these populations. And for example, in Bangladesh, a lot of things are done by telecommunications, by people's mobile phones and apps. And technology, they've become very reliant on that. And as you said earlier, Tripti, perhaps every single Indian has ordered something from Domino's and given them mm. the paper information. So yes. we can start seeing that now that we are moving towards a more digitalized economy, these things could have serious implications. It leave a lot of people very vulnerable. And it's very important to understand it's actually time to start taking care of these things and uh, start looking after them. What I've noticed is that there is a growing appetite for people to learn more about um, IAPP certifications and how to really put themselves in a position where they can have a career in data privacy. But what I see lacking is the appetite to actually invest in themselves, invest in their own personal development to really understand how to go and make a difference rather than I wake up, I go and do a job and I get paid for it, like igniting that passion for privacy. Right. And that, right. that's what I'm really looking forward to doing, igniting that passion so that people actually get it, not from here, uh, their head, but also from their heart. Like privacy is something to be passionate about. And I should really care about people's rights and freedoms so that I can do a good job and become a business enabler. Because when you get data privacy right for your clients, not only does it help to inspire confidence in the stakeholders, but it also helps them to gain that trust. And of course, it helps them to secure and win more business and really protects them from any reputational damage, unnecessary enforcement action or silly fines. If I may please add to what you just mentioned, the part of investing in oneself. I am one of them, you know, who's been guilty of it. I, I must at this juncture thank my husband. He's the one who made me see it. Because again, Indian subcontinent, we don't want to spend a dime. I must ad admit that, you know, we don't like investing in ourselves. Yeah. But my husband really made it a point, you know, that I I go ahead, as you rightly said, you know, invest in myself, take up those trainings, those courses. And I think I have done decently well for myself, to be honest. And it has really helped me. Without these trainings and these courses, I don't think I would have, you know, been able to really understand the essence of data protection. And I think I'm in a in, in a pretty happy space right now. It would not have happened if I had not taken those plunges. I, I tend to agree with what you're saying. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and you remember when uh, we was introduced by our mutual friend, tell me about how you got the certifications. Did you learn how to pass an exam or did you go through the training? And then you told me, no, I've invested in the training. I came out to Europe and I was like, yes, you'd make an excellent guest. You have the right <laughs> mindset. And thank you to your husband for all of that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, thanks to my husband. I agree. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Tripti. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. It's been such an interesting guest to have on the podcast. So thank you again. Thank you so much, Jamila. Thank you, Jamal. Thank you, everyone. This has been a wonderful platform. And a lot of knowledge exchange has happened. And, you know, I really look forward to such knowledge exchanges that leave me enriched. And also for all our audience. And I would really definitely try and send this across to my network as well, so that they also partake of what we've just discussed. And it's very important for everyone to know, be it students or be it young professionals. So yeah, thank you so much for inviting me, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been our pleasure and our privilege. Thank you, Tripti. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class privacy pro. Please leave us a four or five star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzient.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.